Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 57, How Saba Tahir Writes. Saba Tahir is a number one New York Times bestselling author and a wonderful person to interview. In this episode, Saba and I really dig down deep into the writing life, talking about the world of hope, some thoughts on world building, and lessons learned on writing a series. I love this interview, and I think I could have just kept talking and talking and talking with Saba, but alas, time intervened. I want to say a special thank you to Saba for time and graciousness. And now, my friends, without any further ado, here is the interview with Saba Tahir. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and today's very special guest is Saba Tahir. Saba is the number one New York Times bestselling author of the An Ember in the Ashes series, which has been translated into over 35 languages. She grew up in California's Mojave Desert at her family's 18-room motel. There she spent her time devouring fantasy novels, raiding her brother's comic book stash, and playing guitar badly. She began writing An Ember in the Ashes while working nights as a newspaper editor. She likes thunderous indie rock, garish socks, and all things nerd. Tahir's latest novel, A Sky Beyond the Storm, was published on December 1st, 2020, and this will be the last book in the Ember series. It is all done. Praise for A Sky Before the Storm is fantastic. I read a bunch of reviews. I have been reading it myself, and it is just catapulted. It seems like readers are just absolutely devouring it. Saba currently lives in San Francisco Bay Area, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I am so excited um, to interview you. This time of year is special. So, you know, we're rounding out 2020 and it's been a year, right? Yes, (laughs) sure has. (laughs) It's been a year. I don't think, I I always say this, I don't think anybody saw anything coming of 2020, regardless of how it's broken or whatever it looks like. Um, And and so I want to start out by just kind of reflecting on 2020 with you. And my first question is, as you look back on 2020, on this mysterious, crazy year we'll be talking about for who knows how long, what is one thing that you feel most grateful for? Um, I think I feel most grateful for my health. I think in a year when you had nearly 300,000 people die of an illness, there's really only one thing you can be grateful for if you're still alive, right? Um, I'm I'm really grateful that I didn't get ill yet, knock on wood. Um, and I'm grateful that my family is healthy. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's the one that's so easy to reach for if, if you can say it. You know, I mean there's unfortunately yes. a lot of people who can't. Um yeah. as I was writing that question, I always ask myself the same questions. I'm always like, what are you most grateful for, Brian? And and that was it came up, you know, healthy family, healthy body. Um, it's, it's, yeah, in, in, in a year where it's something yeah. we take for granted. Yeah. Right? I was about to say in a year where, where it was easy to take it for granted before you kind of realize that. Yeah. Um, and I, especially knowing, um, you know, knowing so many younger people, you know, who've gotten ill, 
um, women who really struggled with this illness. You know, I have friends who 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 um, who are just not the same people they were, um, yeah. and it's it's really sad. So yes, hundred percent grateful for that. Universe, okay. please take note. <laughs> <laughs> what what is one lesson you feel like you learned in twenty twenty? <laughs> I learned many lessons in 2020. Um, I think the lesson that stuck with me was that um, hope is very powerful, more powerful than I realized. And that's a lesson I have just learned because uh, A Sky Beyond the Storm is the last book of a series, as you said, and hope is a major theme in the book. And, you know, if you ask my readers, they'll tell you that you know, the third book was kind of my like Empire Strikes Back, right? It was very dark, um, very, very, um, it ended on a, a very difficult note, um, stressful. And Sky for me, it was important for me to kind of bring back this idea of hope and really infuse the novel with that. And I have gotten hundreds and hundreds of messages. I was actually overwhelmed by how many I got. I, didn't, I did not anticipate it. Hundreds and hundreds of messages of people saying, thank you so much for putting hope in this book. Like I really needed that. And telling me their stories, telling me about what's happened to them this year and what they've gone through this year. And um, it really helped me understand that, you know, for all the tension and the stress and the, you know, all of that that we put into our books, it's really important to balance it with the positive too. And, um, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm now going to try to remember that as I move forward yeah. with my writing. That's so, I, I love that. And it's such an interesting um, contrast, right? Because we're told so much increased conflict, increased mm-hmm. tension, more, 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 balancing it out with um, with hope or with joy or, or with or with the emotions that are, are or the feelings that are not stress-inducing. I, I'm not yes. sure, I'm not sure what that word would be, not stress-inducing, but whatever yeah. it is, whatever it is. <laughs> That's that's such an interesting perspective. So so, you know, as you think about, you know, I'm sure you know maybe you're taking a little break, but as you think about now, starting new work and writing and you know maybe a new series or new standalones, do you do you feel as if hope will have a more prominent space in your work going forward? I think it will, and I think that it will take different forms, right? So I think sometimes hope is laughter. Um, I am naturally extremely goofy and that comes out through my social media but not necessarily through my books like you you can see some of the very dark humor in my books but it's not something that I really cultivate because I I just you know I was sort of thinking you know fantasy you know inspired by you know really dark things like I wasn't thinking humor but I'm I've been trying to sort of lean into that more with with what I'm working on now and um, with future works not not an attempt to be funny but more like allowing myself to find those lighter moments to find that levity and to sort of um, layer that between the stress because I think that that makes for a much more interesting read. And I also feel like, um, I also feel like having those moments of whether it's quiet, whether it's joy, whether it's laughter really helps us as readers appreciate um, the more the more difficult moments. Like it's almost like that contrast is, is a more powerful punch than just sort of falling asleep at the edge of your seat. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, as, as you're talking, the, the thing that comes up in my head is it's like a, it's a choice as a writer that you're making to kind of intentionally let up the, the foot on the gas of like the 
every scene ends on a cliffhanger every scene something awful is happening to the main character where we don't know how they're going to get out of it and i don't want to say humanizing it but in but in kind of in a way it's adding a more human dimension right because most people's lives are not thriller-ish even mm-hmm. when they're bad you know what i mean there's, right. there's periods of 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 lull and recovery um and it's so it's really interesting do, do you feel as if as you're making that shift what is it you hope your readers get from that shift in your writing? I hope that the experience for the reader is um, of richer and more full reading experience, right? So I think that, look, I love fantasy and I love fantasy that is like, you can't stop turning the pages, absolutely. But one of the things I noticed about my favorite fantasy books Um, It's the same thing I've noticed about my favorite romance novels. I'm a huge romance novel reader. Um, And it is that those moments of humanity, that is what allows us to love the characters, Mm. right? Like if you just have moments of stress and you just have moments of tension and you just have battle scenes and you don't have the quieter moments in between where our characters are just being human and we're it, and it doesn't have to be anything deep, right? It doesn't have to be a deep conversation. It doesn't It can be something as simple as like, you know, two people cooking together and discussing, you know, what what they're making and having a little argument over it. Or it can, it can be anything that's sort of more quiet or calm. I just think it really allows us to connect to these characters and to connect to their humanity. Um, and it's not even something that we're doing, obviously. I'm not sitting here reading Ursula Le Guin and thinking, I am connecting to the characters. <laughs> she just does it so naturally, yeah, right? She just yeah. adds those little moments of calm or, or whatever so naturally. One of, the, one of the authors who does this, who I love, is Alison Croggan. Um, she wrote The Naming, which is a, a fantasy, young adult fantasy series uh, in, a, in a book series called The Books of Pelinor. And Alison has these beautiful descriptions of food and clothing and you know markets and it's sort of in this otherwise these very very dark books where the character is going through um you know some experiences that are are harrowing and she then she she intersperses it with these really beautiful moments and and it really makes you just want those moments for that character so you're you're waiting for them Mm. you know and you're looking forward to them and you're looking forward to her not just defeating, you know, her her foes or her antagonists because you don't like them, but because you want joy for her. And I think that that's that is what I'm sort of trying to incorporate into my work more is this allowing that the reader to experience a character's joy so that you want that for them. Yeah, man, that's that's so interesting. It's as if it's as if the novel. I think sometimes we read books for purely entertainment. Yeah. And, and it's wonderful and it's spectacular Absolutely. And, and there's, there's no, you know, there's no right or wrong book or right or wrong way to read a book for that matter. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it, it sounds as if there's, there's another maybe dimension, which is what, what you're saying, which is like entertainment and also connection. Yes. In a sense. Mm-hmm. I, I would urge you know, listeners, right, of, of your podcast yeah. to, to look at your, look at your favorite books. I'm talking about the ones you can't stop thinking about, right. like the ones that we stick with you. Them. Yeah, we all right? have, we all have yeah. them, like the yeah. ones that you're like, you know, you What's tell yours? people about them. <laughs> you know, oh, God. Um, recently, um, Girl, Serpent, Thorn by Melissa oh, yeah. Bashardus. I loved that book. I yeah. thought it was beautiful. Um, and uh, This is How We Lose the Time War. I really love that one, too. <laughs> That's, that really stuck with me. But I actually, I think that if you look at those books that you love, start looking for those quiet moments 
and ask yourself how they make you feel, how you would feel about the next chapter of that book if that moment didn't happen. That's sort of reading like a writer, right? There's there's that famous book right. from many years ago called Reading like, like a Writer. And it's one of the things that she encourages you to do is sort of dissect what you're reading. And that's one of the things that that I did um, in the past couple of years is as I was reading, I was like, you know, instead of looking at just sort of the rising action moments, look at these quiet moments. What do they make you feel? When do they happen? And it's there's no science to it at all, right? It's just, mm-hmm. it's based, I mean, maybe there is, but if there is, I, I don't know what that science right. is. <laughs> um, but it's just, I, I think it's very helpful to look at that and kind of think, oh, um, you know, there is more to this story than maybe what, I think it makes me feel. And and I have I have started to realize that there's a lot more to some of the, the books I love than I initially thought. And it's a wonderful realization because you go and you reread them and you're yeah. like, oh my God, like I'm seeing a whole nother level. Oh, I love it. I love it. I lo- absolutely I'm, I I love that hope was um the the lesson because I feel like I want more of that too. You know, and, and, and you saying that, like I felt it a little bit and um I hope my the listeners feel that hope as well. Um, okay, so are, are you a New Year's resolutioner? Do you set do you set New Year's goals or targets or anything like I, that? I I I used to. Um, now the year kind of blurs together. Yeah. What's a year anymore? <laughs> I'm like, what's a year? Um, so I haven't set any resolutions in a while. Um, I try to set work resolutions based on project. So, um, so instead of being like, okay, at the beginning of the year, this is how many books I'm going to do, or this is how many words I'm going to do or what have you, I will finish one project and go into the next and be like, this is how long I want this to take me. Um, this is how, you know, how I want the editing process to go, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you what your resolutions are, but, uh. Well, I can well, tell you my resolutions for next, my next book, <laughs> which I, I have made. Um, so, so which, yeah, I, I would, I would actually, we, we, I would love to hear that about like a book specific resolution. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, so I do book specific resolutions. So every time I do a book, it's like a new year. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do here? Um, and for this next book I'm working on, I can't actually talk about what it's about, but for this next book I'm working on, one of my resolutions was to, um, take one of the characters who's a, 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 a young boy and really dig into how he feels about things and put that on the page more because I struggled with that with him. Um, and I, it's not the sort of mysterious character where it's like, oh, I wonder what he feels like. I get, we're going to find out. It's like, oh, this writer didn't do her job. <laughs> you know. So I'm one of my resolutions, you know, I've gone through the first draft and one of my resolutions now is to really get that on the page. Another resolution is to cut 5,000 words from it because it's a little bit too long and I can sense that when I read yeah. it. Yeah. Um, um, another resolution is to um, finish a, and I'm going to be really coy and weird here, but to finish a different uh, that project in a different medium. <laughs> I'm sure people can probably figure out what I'm talking <laughs> dot, about, but dot, I'm not allowed dot. to say it, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, you know, to, to finish that and to master that. So yeah. it's like that project has all of these little goals around it. And that makes me feel like it's actually doable because I think when I start the new year with new year's resolutions, I'm ne- I never get to the end of the year and be like, oh, great job, Saba, you... <laughs> Yeah. You got all your resolutions usually. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't get any of them. So I I just instead of instead of that feeling, I was like, I'm gonna go for book specific. I love that though. I you know, and and I think the resolution is is there to 
promote change, positive change that you want in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. You know, in a year is like a crazy period of time as we've seen in 2020, a lot can change in a year, you know? Yep. And so having it be book specific, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there like, oh, that's an awesome idea. I absolutely love that being like book specific. So, um, so I, I want to ask you a question when the very, your very first book came out, it immediately like just took off. Like it just hit and found an audience. Um, and like, I saw that it like within a couple of weeks or months, it was like number two on the Amazon bestseller list for, I think, young adult, which is just incredible. Um, and since then you've written, you know, an entire series, you've seen those series kind of wind down as you look back at where you were writing and what you were doing in that first book was published. And now do you feel like there's a couple lessons specifically about writing a series that you've learned that you would now take, if you start a new series or that you would take with you and kind of be like, I will do this differently next time. Oh yeah. Um, I learned so much doing this series. Um, one of the first things that I learned is, um, that you have to put the writing first. Everything comes second to the writing. And that's actually advice that I was given by um, a wonderful author named Terry Brooks, who wrote um, the Shannara series, or Shannara, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Um, And I met him before I published anything. And I told him, you know, very sort of shyly that I was a writer and that I was working on a fantasy novel. And he was such a class act, you know, he shook my hand and said, I'm so happy you're writing, you know, we need your stories. And then he said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice, even though you're not asking for it. Um, The writing has to come first. It has to come above everything. Nothing else matters. The story is what matters. And I was like, okay. And I kind of took it to heart, but I didn't really internalize that until I was a couple of books in and I was realizing that I was putting deadlines ahead of the writing. I was putting, um, I was putting, you know, uh, publicity, not, not, you know, stuff I wanted to do, but stuff I felt like I had to do, right? Social media and connecting with readers and all that stuff. I was putting that ahead of the writing. And as I was writing my second book, I was realizing, you know, it, it wasn't good. I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And I had to stop and think and be like, I need more time. I have to put the story first. The story has to matter more than anything else. And that's what I did. And it meant that I blew deadlines. <laughs> like, you know, I just went right past them. Um, and it is what it is. And it's like, I was um, fortunate to have a, an agent who supported me. And when I told her, I can't get this book in on time, she was like, okay, you know, I got you, I'll handle it. But I think that a lot of writers are afraid to, to tell their publisher or their agent or whoever that really, really, they really, really allow deadlines to kind of rule them. And I get it. You're getting paid based on your deadline, right? Like if you turn that book in, that's when you get, that's when you get part of your advance. Um, so it's, it's very much an, if you can, I was fortunate, you know, I, um, uh, I was depending on my, my writing income, but not so much that I couldn't put it off for a few months. Like I was pretty careful about how I, you know, how I dealt with my early advance and stuff. So I was able to kind of save and that made it. So I wasn't like, Oh, you know, I'm counting on this date. And it, and so that was one of the things I learned is to take your time and put the story first. Um, another thing I learned is how helpful it is to do a, like a ton of world building at the beginning. So I spent six years 
writing the first book and then another year and a half after I got um, after I got a publishing deal sort of getting it ready and getting it out into the world and that time was so worth it because it really allowed me to build that world properly um, and and then when I was writing my later books it was much easier to sort of go back and, and create that world there was still world building necessary yeah. but I kind of wish that I had actually spent just a little bit more time world building and I think before I would do a next series I would make sure my world was completely Right. filled out like before I, you know, the world was set. Yeah. It didn't have, doesn't have to be every detail, but just like generally like the government, the people's, yeah. you know, yeah. all that stuff. Um, so, so, so those are two of the things that stick out for me. I, yeah. And I want to jump in there for two things. The first one, the first one, I'm so happy you said this is that it took you six years to get the first book done and then another year and a half. So seven and a half years mm-hmm. on that book. Cause I, I talk to writers all the time. Um, and they're like, I've been working on this thing for six months and it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> and sometimes I'm like, you know, sometimes it takes you six months, but sometimes like it takes you six years. Yeah. And, and if your North star is that the writing comes first, six years is okay. You know? So yeah, six years is okay. Especially yeah. if yeah. you're not, I mean, I had a job, right? right. Like I wasn't, you know, yeah. I was writing in my spare time and then I, I was a stay at home mom. And so yeah. It, writing was not, you know, it couldn't be something I was doing for, you know, 40 hours a week. I was yeah. just getting it in when I could. Um, but I, I was still, I was still like, you know, it was the best I could do was, you know, maybe 10 to 15 hours a week, but I was, all my thought was sort of focused on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I do think that that time, the time you put in matters, it's sort of funny because I've heard from, from people, whether it's, you know, with curiosity or with irritation, Oh, well, it seemed like you succeeded really quickly. And it's like seven and a half years is not really quickly. Yeah, right. Like that's not an overnight success. Like right. that's seven and a half years of writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And, and that I think was just I benefit- one book. Like that, that, was just like, one that book. doesn't include the- It doesn't include the, the rest. Yeah. Right? yeah. right. Like the right. rest I had to write, you know. So, and so, um, so, and I think a big part of what allowed me to succeed was I, I was, I had been a copy editor at the Washington Post for many years. And so I saw what a good story looked like. Yes, it was news stories and feature stories. So littler versions, right? But I understood how a good story is supposed to feel. Mm -hmm. And I kept writing this book and it didn't feel like that. (laughs) So it was like every time I'd write it, I'd wait a few weeks. I would go back, I'd read it and I'd be like, this sucks. (laughs) I would rewrite it, you know? Yeah, so let's, I want to get to another point too on world building because it comes up a lot and I'd love to talk to you a little bit about that. But um, let's just kind of take one minute here and let's just say, I'm actually a great example. Um, I've been working on a book since I started my, my first semester of my MFA, which was in 2016. So four okay. years, four years. Okay. Um, and it's been up and down and let's just say you're talking to me and I'm saying, I, I can't do this. This, this sucks. I, like, I'm going to go do something that's easier. I'm going to write an easier story. What, what, like, how would you tell a friend to deal with that period where, you know, you can read and you know, good story, but you're not quite producing the story you want yet. It's not quite there yet, even though you know how it should feel. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the person, Right. So first of all, there are absolutely stories that need to be put in a drawer and put away, not for like a month, but for like a year or two or three, right? Right. Or never taken out again. That's a real thing that happens, right? 
So what I would, what I would usually tell a friend and I've have had friends in that situation. And what I have said in the past is, Hey, um, how do you feel about the story? Like, do you still want to write it? Like, are you still passionate about it? And usually, you know, you get a yes or a no. And if it's a no, it's like, you know what? You probably need to spend some time away from it. Like, you know, it's like a relationship, you know, like go be free for a little while and see if that's a relationship you still want to be in. Go date some right? other people. Go, out go to date dinner, some other people. Get exactly. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And so it's like, you know, put the book away. Yeah. Go do something else for a little while, you know, and give yourself like a legit amount of time. So not like a week, you know, spend, spend six weeks, you know, two yeah. months away from that project and do other stuff, work on other things and then return to it, reread it and see how you feel. And if you're still like, screw this book, then you know what? Screw the book. Like it, it sucks that it took up years of your time, but I have a friend who um, spent two years on a book. She's, she's a published author. You know, she published a couple books, she spent two years on a book she was like, this is the one, this is the one. And then she gets to the end of those two years and she's just like, oh God, it's not the one, is it? And then she had to spend two years on another book and that's the one that she's, she's right. been happy with. But it happens. Yeah. I would also say that if you're reading, if you're, if you're still very passionate about the book, if you're very excited about it, if you kind of can't get that story out of your head, you probably need a different perspective on the book, which means that you need a reader you need an editor, you need a beta reader, you need somebody who, and someone who hasn't read your work before, I think is really important. Yeah, right, right. Um, and if you, you can, someone who has no skin in the game, um, you know, right. there, there are editors out there, they're, you know, some of them are expensive, some are, some of them are not. I ended up actually saving for a couple of months um, to hire a freelance editor for the sole reason of, I, my book wasn't working, I didn't know why. And I just wanted somebody to talk to about it who wasn't related to me <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> and wasn't my former roommate. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. So, so, and it was, it was probably the best money I've spent. Yeah. It was so helpful to just yeah. have someone to talk to about it. Yeah. We've, we've had, um, I, I've interviewed some editors, developmental editors for the podcast and tried to like under uncover when to use them and, and what they're for. And, and a really good editor at the right time is invaluable. Right. Absolutely. I mean, like it makes a huge Huge difference. So, okay. So another topic you brought out was world building. And it, this is a topic that comes up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, there, there seems to be a lot of listeners who are fantasy writers or possibly historical fiction, um, speculative fiction. I've started to see a lot of books come through from our um, writing community that is, oh, what's it called? Oh man, it's like climate fiction, cli-fi. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, like I know that. what you're talking I've about. I've never yeah. heard of it before. I mean, and I, I'm not super in the loop, so maybe this has been around for a long time. Um, anyways, all those things have a really strong world building component where mm -hmm. you know you're existing in a space that's not our own and you really need to set the rules and you need to define what's uh what is real and what's not real. You get the idea. So if somebody was in that space and they were like, Hey, I, I'd like just a couple tips or a couple ideas where would you start them on how to build a really profoundly captivating world? And then the follow-up question to that is what are some additional resources? Has there been like books or maybe some courses or like how, how could somebody keep going deeper into world building if they really wanted to learn, you know, how to make sure that they're, you know, crossing their T's and dotting their I's. So I think that world building is a really fine balance between too much and too little. Yeah, right. I think that when you start getting, this is my personal feeling, but I think that when you start getting into like, you know, really spending months and months and months and months and months on world building, 
you can start to start to lose sight of your actual story. And then you kind of have to ask yourself, what do you enjoy? Do you enjoy the writing or do you just enjoy the research, right? Because there are authors out there, right? Who really just, they love the research and writing is kind of like, meh, sort of a vehicle for the if research. I, if I have done. to do that. <laughs> it's a, if I have to do that, right? And then there's the opposite where it's sort yeah. of like, you know, you research because you must. Yeah. I The number one advice I give on world building is world build iteratively. Iterative iteratively, sorry. <laughs> Let me say that again and maybe yeah. you can you can edit that. Yeah. So the number one advice I have on world building is to world build iteratively. So by iteration, do not try to cram every bit of information into one draft. Except that when you're world building, it's okay to layer in your world. You can start with a very loose understanding of the world and then you can layer in things like government. And then you can layer in things like language and you can layer in things like names and you can learn things like clothing and like why they dress a certain way and, you know, why they trade certain things and why the government is where it is, what the history is, what the mythology is, all of that can be layered in. Yes, it takes longer. However, I think it leads to a more thorough world building process that is also not derivative. <laughs> so I think you find that the when you world build too quickly, you're kind of pulling from resources either around you, you know, your own world, our own history, or you're pulling from your favorites. And I think it's really better to, to just take a beat and think about what would the curse word, words in this world be? Right. Would they be the same as the curse words in you know, this book I really love, or would it be something different because this world is different? Mm -hmm. So I think it's um, th that, that sort of thing to me requires iterative world building. Um, and I, I found it incredibly helpful. And the, the, the writers who I've spoken to who have used it have sort of found that it's much more manageable that way. Right. Then you can fo focus both on story, yeah, you know, right. what's happening in your book right. and the world, you can do both at once right. as opposed right. to kind of being forced to do one or the other. Yeah, it, it's almost um, like you can be writing the story and then realize like, oh, there, there's a gap in my world here mm -hmm. and I've got to make a decision. Like, can people fly or not? Or not, yeah. Right, and right. then, you know, you can think about what does that mean for the rest of the world? And right. if you layer that one thing in, in your draft, then it's not as hard as being like, okay, so people can fly um, and the government is a, con you know, a consortium of merchants and, um, there are, you know, airships and, you know, there's right. an alien invasion happening, you know, it's like, that's way too much. And you kind of want to, you know, be a little careful about how you add each of those right. elements. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I love that. Do you have any books or any, like, has there been anything along your path where you've been like, this really helped me frame up how to, how to build a world? I really figured out world building by trial and error. It yeah. was, I wished that I had had a world building book, um, but I did not. Um, I, I had, yeah, me you too. know, I had goal and motivation books. I read Deborah Dixon's GMC. I thought yeah. that was a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, I read Stephen King's On Writing, super helpful. Um, I read, um, I read, uh, I forget the name of the author, but there's a book called, I think, Hooked. Um, that was really helpful in, in figuring out an inciting incident. Yeah, but yeah. I have never read a world building. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm sorry. Either, yeah, I feel like we're either uncovering an enormous gap in the writing uh, education book space that somebody needs to fill. Like somebody needs to step up to the plate and just write a killer 
world building book or you and I, I can't think of a single one myself either. And I've, I, my current project is set in the future and I've done tons of world building as well. And, um, I just never come across and I read a lot of books on writing, like a lot of books, on yeah. writing. It's like my jam. Um, and it's just never come across. So for listeners out there, if, if there is a book on world building and we just don't know it and it's amazing, uh, send it my way. I would love to like post it on Instagram and have people yeah and i call it out yeah that would be um that'd be super i i did i did encounter one thing and i don't know if this is still up uh rick riordan had character building worksheets on his website and i think it's because he was a teacher um and so he had created those i believe as like curriculum but i remember reading those and being like oh this is actually pretty helpful in building a character yeah um and i imagine you could probably adjust those to apply it to to world building oh i like it you're, you're making my head spin so i want to ask you um one last kind of series of questions as we're kind of wrapping up our time together which makes me feel sad inside um <laughs> i i love the breakout uh, i'm i'm a huge fan of the person who's working and writing or, you know, juggling a family at home or in school, whatever it is where they're, um, you know, they're writing with a full-time life. That's kind of what I say. And Mm -hmm. they are just, they are just doing the hustle and doing the grind to get their work done and get that, get that book finished. And, you know, I read that you were, and you had said that you were in journalism um, before you, you know, before your first book was published. And I think I I read that you uh, worked nights Mm-hmm. And so I would love to just kind of touch on that, that time. Like what was life like when you were working full-time, you're trying to write a book, uh, trying to get it done, family obligations. I'm sure. I mean, everybody has families, you know, you get, you get what I'm saying. Um, when were you writing? How much were you writing? How did you squeeze that into your life? So um, I was writing late at night, late, late, late at night, like two but, in the morning. Oh my. Um, <laughs> um, and I wasn't sleeping much. And I don't say that with any sort of pride. Right. I, I actually think that was bad. Um, but I had I had to write. Um, and if that meant that I was sleeping less, then it was like, so be it. I chose writing over everything so many times. And I don't know if that was always the right decision, um, but it is what I did. Um, right. So I chose writing over a social life often. Um, I chose it over like visiting family. I chose it over going, you know, like watching TV or, you know, whatever. The only thing that I didn't really give up was reading. Cause I was like, I need to read to be able to write. I was really fixated on finishing a book. Um, it was really, really important to me. And I also found that I learned to write in tiny bits of time. And that was something I learned when I had children. So my, my son was born in 2009 And, um, I, you know, I left my job, um, because I wanted to stay at home with him and anyone who has a a baby knows that you cannot do a job and also have a, like raise a baby. Like, it's just not, they just, they need you all the time. Right. So, (laughs) so what I would, what I would find is these sort of little elbows of time when he was sleeping or when he was eating or when we were driving somewhere. And I would have my phone, I'd have my phone and I would talk my story into my phone. I would speak my story into mm. my phone. And I would then, you know, when I had a free minute or when, you know, I would, you know, on the weekends, I'd be like, you know, hand the baby to my, to my husband and be like, I gotta go write. And I would take a few hours and, you know, write down what I had, what I had come up with, you know, during those little 15 minute increments of time, I kept journals everywhere. Um, and the thing is, if you do that for years, you will eventually have a book. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. There's like that famous saying, it's like, a, you know, a page a day is a book a year, right? Yeah. Like it, it's very similar. It's just a longer timeline. <laughs> That's all because, because it just took longer, right? Right. So, so I really tried to use every bit of time. And I think that that necessity, sort of the need to write the book, the need to get the story out, kind of forced me to be um, smart with my writing and to be discriminate, uh, you know, dis discriminating with how I spent my time. Um, my mom had this saying when I was a little girl, which is, um, she put it on our wall. I remember really clearly. She said, um, uh, vision without action is merely a dream. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, action without vision, you know, um, doesn't get anything done but vision with action can change the world. And I remember this so clearly because she would say it to me all the time. <laughs> um, but I called on that a lot. Yeah, I was like, I yeah. have to do both. Like I have to imagine it, but I also have to sit down and do it. Yeah. And if I don't do yeah. both of those things, this book is never gonna live. It's yeah. never gonna breathe. And so for writers out there, you know, sometimes we're leaning one way or the other. I have done it myself. Sometimes I spend too much time dreaming and I'm not getting the book written. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I spend too much time writing and I'm not dreaming what, of what the book could be. Yeah. And it really does require a balance of both. And I think that you can do that in an hour. You can do it in five hours a week. You can do it in 15 minutes a week. It can be done. It's just about how long it's going to take you to finish. Sometimes yeah. if you're slow, like me, <laughs> a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. Hmm. That just like fills my soul up so much. <laughs> um, I like, I like your mom saying, I kind of want to like get it. I kind of like picture, I like, got a picture, like maybe like uh, etched in like wood or something like that. Like yeah, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. She <laughs> I love had it. Typed it. She typed it up and printed it out on her ancient, you know, printer that took three years yeah, to print yeah, out yeah. one page and, yeah, yeah. and taped and taped it to the wall. I'm, I'm sure she still has it somewhere. I love it. I love it so much. And I would love to keep talking about all that stuff, but alas, it is time to transition us into our final five questions. I keep feeling like I need like music to play when I say that, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like some sort of announcement. Um, so for anybody who's this year, first episode listening, I ask every single guest the exact same questions. And the, the whole point of it is firstly, I love the answers. I mean, it just scratches my own itch, but secondly, because it highlights how different every writer and every guest is all the answers are different. And what I hope it reinforces is that there's no one right way to write. You, find, you have your way and everybody ha will have their own answers to these. And whatever is the answers, whatever is your way to get good words on the page and being happy as much as you can while doing it, that's really what, what counts here. And so with that spirit, I shall ask you question number one. I love this question. What is one word that best describes you? Okay, so I'm gonna use two words and I'm just gonna be okay. real open about it because I can't do one. Um, these are words that one day my husband kind of looked at me and he was like, I'm gonna engrave this on your tombstone or you know, if you go first or if, if I go first, <laughs> you yeah. need to have it engraved on your yeah. tombstone. And those are loyal and vengeful. <laughs> loyal and vengeful? Loyal and vengeful. Wow. <laughs> It seems like there's a lot of stories behind those yeah, two words. <laughs> there are. <laughs> oh, man. What two wonderful opposing 
maybe not, maybe not opposing words. Maybe you're vengeful to the people who hurt the people you're loyal to. I don't know. There you go. Yep. That's it. Sounds like there's a a story in there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Question number two, if you had to pick a spirit book, and so this is like a book, if you were, if you died and you were able to be reincarnated as a book, it just best describes who you are. What book would it be? Definitely a sky beyond the storm. No question in my mind. I, I, I put my soul into that book. Like every, everything about me is in it. So it's like, if you read the book, then you're kind of, you know, you're reading a large section of my brain. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Okay. See, now that's interesting. Now, as I'm reading this book, uh, I'm going to be thinking about that and be like, Oh, getting a deeper window here. Okay. Question number three, is there a specific tool? It can be anything at all. Pencil, software, chair, drinks, setting, music, um, anything that you have to have. To I, I need my Bose noise canceling headphones, which is so extra, but that's, that's, I, I must have them. If yeah. I don't have them, I, I struggle. <laughs> and and uh, is it, is it playing music or are you just silent? There. they're playing music yeah okay. i always have music um, and what's, what's i music think choice oh gosh um you know what go to my instagram and look at my highlights and you will see a ton of music or go to the back of my books and you will see lists of music um because i thank the artists who inspire me with in all my acknowledgments oh i love it and so do you feel do you feel like the books have a flavor of the music that you're listening to as you write them like, do you, do you think um, that the music rubs off on, on your creation process? I definitely think the music rubs yeah. off on my creation process. Um, I think that I listen to all kinds of music, and I really mean that. There's no exceptions. Um, yeah. I love pretty much every type of music, whether it's, you know, indie rock, whether it's bluegrass, whether it's rap, whether it's country. Like, I don't care. I love it. Um, so um, it's really just the feeling in the song that rubs off. I love it. Okay. Question number four. How do you deal with the constant ups and downs of the writing life? I think about my favorite writers and their careers. And I try to remember that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. Like I would love to be half as rad as Ursula Le Guin, (laughs) you know, who, who had this amazing body of work that she built throughout her life. Mm -hmm. And she let herself get better. Um, and she let herself keep learning. And I think that that really is sort of a long game mentality. And so that, that's what I try to keep in mind. What, is that, um, what does that sentence mean to you? She let herself keep learning and she let herself get better. Like, like the let herself is, is an interesting modifier on that sentence. I think what it means is that you accept that you're not your best yet mm-hmm. and that you can be better. Mm. And, and I think that if you, if I looked at Sky and I was like, you know, this is the best book that, you know, I'm going to write or, oh my God, this book I'm writing now is not as good as Sky was, then you're really limiting yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're constantly trying to learn, if you're always reading books about, you know, reading books in general, but, you know, reading books about writing, talking to people about craft, appreciating books that you've read and how they do things differently, it, trying to experience different types of writing in different forms that's going to keep your mind going. It's going to keep, it's going to allow you to keep growing and you are, you are letting yourself grow as a writer. Mm, I love that. I, yeah, I, I really truly love that. I love that. There's a lot of traditions that have this concept of like beginner's mind, you know, where Mm -hmm. where you're kind of always at the start and there's always something to learn. And it sounds like there's, there's like a carryover there 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Last question. If you could give one piece of advice to new writers out there, what would it be? I would say, um, I would tell a story. It's the same story I always tell. So forgive me if you've heard it before. <laughs> um, when I was at my parents' house, my mother was taking care of my children and I was trying to write. And I was sitting in the dining room table at the dining room table and my father walked by and I was kind of staring off at his face and he sort of walks by and he's like looking at me and then he keeps, he goes to the kitchen and I hear him muttering to my mom and he's like, she's not doing anything. She's just staring at his face. And my mom said, um, she's dreaming. Half of writing is, is dreaming, let her dream. And that is the advice that I give to writers all the time. Like half of writing is dreaming. So let yourself dream. Like so many writers get to the point where they are not dreaming anymore. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. just, they're, they're just in the slog. They're just in the trenches. And I'm not saying that that isn't necessary. Sometimes it totally is. But if even in those moments, you don't remember why you love your story, take a step back and try to remember why you love that story, because that is the greatest inspiration. That is what gets you through rejection and failure and bad drafts and you know terrible dialogue and all the all the mistakes we make and all the mess ups we do allowing yourself to continue to dream is so 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 important um so i really hope all the writers out there can hold on to that that uh, that one thing what a wonderful way to wrap up this episode i have so thoroughly enjoyed interviewing you and I have loved hearing your story and I feel like your mom is just a pot of wisdom. Holy smokes. She's so great. Yeah. I mean like <laughs> all these things your mom's saying like your mom sounds awesome. Um, and, and this has been such a pleasure for me. Thank you so much for your time and sharing so much with us and best of luck on these new projects. Um, last question for you, for the people out there who are like, where can I find you? Where are you online? Where do you hang out? And how can people learn more? Yeah, I am on Twitter um, at Sabatahir. I am on Instagram at Sabatahir. I'm on Facebook at Sabatahir. <laughs> um, and I have a website where you can learn more about buying books, order them if you're interested, um, read about you know uh, some of my, my work in the past and, and that sort of thing. And that is sabatahir.com, trickily enough. Wow. It's a, you, you, it's, you got all the domains, you got all the handles. Yeah. And all the domains. It's great. Yeah. It's great that my, my, my parents actually spelled my name weird. So yeah. most people who have my name spelled S-A-B-A, but they spelled it with two A's. So yeah, like yeah, yeah. I grabbed that domain real quick. Yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> my name is Brian Murphy and I can tell you there's not a oh. lot, there's not a lot left. In the oh no. <laughs> Anyways, Saba, thank you so much for your time. This has been so wonderful and uh, yeah, what a pleasure to be able to interview you. Thank you, Brian. Have a good one. Thank you again to Saba for her time. If you haven't yet, please go leave us a rating and review on iTunes. You can check us out on all sorts of social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.